If you have your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 3. Quite often, at some point during the Advent season, most ministers will bring a message on John the Baptist. Often it's the third Sunday, sometimes it's the first, and I have chosen the first. The message this morning is on the King's Herald, John the Baptist. Would you pray with me please before we look into the Word of God? Father, may the Spirit of God be our teacher this morning. We are grateful beyond measure that we do not have to depend for final truth on any man or woman who's teaching the Word of God. We ask that ministry of God the Holy Spirit that would direct our thoughts and our attention. Uh, Help us to gather up our thoughts and to focus on your Word and upon who you are, and that you have come and that you are coming again and that you look for a certain kind of uh, lifestyle from your people. Help us, our Father, to be prepared for the return of the Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. It was the custom of ancient kings to have a forerunner, that is, someone who would go into the towns and the villages and announce their coming to these inhabitants of the towns and villages. And this ministry of forerunner was the wonderful privilege of John the Baptist. And it's described for us in Matthew chapter 3. And I would like for us to briefly consider the forerunner. John the Baptist, the king's herald under three headings. First of all, the man. Second, his mission. And third, his message. And this is in the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 3. Look with me first at the man. Chapter 1. 3 verse 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Just a few thoughts about the man. And it is important, it is of vital importance for us to note at the outset that the character and importance of John the Baptist are forever settled in a statement made by our Lord. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of woman, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. I pondered over that statement. Uh, Among all those born of woman, Jesus said, none had arisen greater than John the Baptist. In light of those words, it would be difficult to overestimate the importance of Of the King's Herald, John the Baptist. John was an unusual individual. He was a rugged and stern man. 
not unlike many of the prophets who preceded him. If you read through the Old Testament and pick up the traits and the characteristics of some of the prophets of the Old Testament, John was much like they were. The name John uh, signals um, simplicity. John didn't care for luxuries. One expositor said of him, he was not a little Lord Fauntleroy. Uh, And you read about his clothing and you certainly see that. John also stood for self-denial. He possessed the kind of character, strength of character, stern character, that was needed to proclaim the message of a coming king to a stiff-necked and rebellious generation. Frankly, uh, I doubt that any preacher living today would want to have the same task put upon him that John the Baptist had. And yet, in spite of the difficulty of the task, John had a tremendous influence on his contemporaries. His ministry was attractive. And frankly, as I read about John the Baptist in all the Gospels, it seemed a little strange to me to think about this man's ministry as being attractive. But if you'll notice chapter 3, verse 5, Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea, and all the district around Jordan. He was attractive in his ministry. He was convicting. Look at verse 6. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, and they confessed their sins. In all of this, his attractiveness, his message... Uh, he used harsh words. Look at verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, Now remember, these were the religious leaders of his day he was addressing. He said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Harsh words. But I take it that John was saying exactly what God had given him to say. I believe John was above patronage. There was no pay to get a certain message from John. Actually, John came in fulfillment of prophecy and soon became the voice of prophecy. It's easily forgotten that between the last prophetic word in the Old Testament and the first prophetic word in the New Testament... There were 400 years. They were called silent years because there was no message from heaven. There was no message from God. 400 silent years. And then John bursts on the scene, something of a modern-day Elijah. We should also keep in mind that between chapter 2 of Matthew and chapter 3 of Matthew, there was another period of almost 30 years. But Matthew 3 opens. And over in John chapter 1, we read, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. God chose this man. God put his hand upon him and shaped and molded John. God prepared him through years that he spent in the wilderness. And God thrust him on the scene at a particular time to be the herald of the Messiah. I think this helps us to understand John's place in the Word of God. He's coming and he's calling on a people to get ready for the coming of the King. His was a ministry 
of preparation. Verse 4 gives us more detail. If you'll look at it again, please. Now, John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. I think we would all have to agree that his diet and his dress were very strange. But again, uh, one expositor remarked that his clothing matched his message. And as I thought about that, I'd have to agree with that. His clothing and his message matched. But regardless of how we might think of John's appearance, regardless of how his contemporaries thought about John's appearance, again, from another one of the Gospels, Luke chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus said he was great in the sight of the Lord. He was great in the sight of the Lord. Verse 4 also indicates to us that he ministered outside the established religious system of his day. He didn't wear priestly garments, even though his father was a priest. Those few thoughts about this man, he's an unusual man that God had prepared and brought on the scene with the message. And basically, it was one of preparation. The king is coming. You need to get ready. His mission is in verses 5 and 6. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Apparently, his ministry created widespread excitement. Uh, Just look at the breadth of the area that he drew people from in verse 5. Jerusalem, Judea, and the district around Jerusalem. That's a considerable um, piece of territory. Not only were they going out to hear him, but they were confessing their sins and they were being baptized. The unique thing that characterized John's mission was his baptism. Something that was given by God to John to the people at that time. His baptism was different from proselyte baptism. Now you know that uh, in Judaism for a Gentile to come into Judaism he had to undergo what was called proselyte baptism. And in that proselyte baptism, several things took place. It was customary for men to be circumcised before proselyte baptism. And then the individual immersed himself. And then the person offered a gift in the temple. And through this process, a Gentile became a Jewish proselyte. He became a member of the Jewish faith. But John's baptism was not like that. John's baptism was not proselyte baptism. With John's baptism, there was no circumcision. And the individual did not immerse himself. John did it. That's why they called him John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. Then also the strangest thing about this was John was baptizing Jews. So... Totally different from proselyte baptism. Proselyte baptism, a Gentile was coming to the Jewish faith. 
John's was totally different. And these events prompted what took place in John chapter 1. If you will turn with me, keep your place in Matthew, but turn with me to John chapter 1, please. John chapter 1. Verse 19, John 1, verse 19. And this is the witness of John, when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed, and did not deny, and he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Verse 23, he said, I'm a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet did. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Pharisees wonder what in the world was going on with John the Baptist. So they sent emissaries to find out. Verse 25, they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are not Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. What was the purpose of John's baptism? Well, you notice, first of all, John's baptism is not a baptism for remission of sins. Mark, in the first chapter of his gospel, and I'll ask you to look there with me too, please. Mark, chapter 1, verse 4. Mark 1, verse 4. Just this one verse from Mark. John, excuse me, yeah, from Mark. Uh, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Notice the last part of that verse. Baptism, baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Read that carefully. What does it say? Does it say that sins are forgiven based on water baptism? No, it doesn't. Baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. The Bible never teaches anyone to be baptized in order to have their sins forgiven. Nowhere does it teach that. Mark indicates that the remission of sins comes through repentance, not baptism. Other thoughts about John's baptism. It was symbolic. His his baptism associated people with him and with the message that he was bringing. And John's baptism was temporary. That was the king's herald. The man, his mission. What about his message? What message was John preaching? There are three things I would like to suggest to you about John's message. First, it was a message of repentance. Let me begin reading again in verse 7, please. 3, 7. 
of Matthew. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the judgment to come? Therefore bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not suppose that you can say of yourselves, We have Abraham our father. See, Jewish people love to claim Abraham as their father, and they claim that gave them the right to the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. And John's very plain. Uh, you cannot say we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you, God's able uh, from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is ready at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, John says in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear the threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. First thing about John's message is it was a message of repentance. Now, we have a bit of a problem here. Our English word, uh, vocabulary does not have a word that conveys the precise meaning of the word repentance. We need to be careful about using this word. And before we think about what it does mean, we need to think a little bit, or let me share with you some things that it does not mean. Repentance does not mean that it's necessary to be sorry for your sins. That it's, uh, that's not part of the word. Not necessary to be sorry for your sins. Most folks are, and it seems appropriate. It's just that's not what the word's getting at. It does not mean to weep over your sins. And it does not mean to promise to do better. Well, what does it mean? What does the word repentance mean? What's it all about? Well, it comes from two words in the original text. And it means a change of mind. Repentance is a change of mind. Well, that's all well and good. Change of mind about what? Change of mind about the person of Jesus Christ. Biblical repentance is a change of mind about Jesus Christ. And preeminently, repentance is a mental thing, not an emotional thing. There is a repentance unto salvation apart from which no man will be saved. This means you change your mind about Jesus Christ and who he is. Regardless of what you thought of him in the past, now you see him as your sacrifice, the one who died for you. For Israel, the term repentance meant to return to the coveted promises that they had made and had forsaken. They made these promises with God through their covenants. They forsook them. And repentance for them means that they return to their coveted promises which they had forsaken. John's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. That's the first thing. The second thing his message had to do with, it was characterized in verses 7 through 10, which we've already read. It was characterized by reality. Repentance characterized, second, by reality. You see, the Pharisees were ritualists. The Sadducees were rationalists. John pointed to reality. He may have eaten honey, but he didn't use honeyed words, calling them a brood of vipers. And then he said to them something I think that cut them to the quick. He addressed the religious leaders and said to them, See that your life is what you have professed that you are. Make your life and your profession mesh. John told them, bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. Third thing, repentance, reality. The third thing about John's message is promise. Verse 11 and 12, and I will read those again for it. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The fire that's mentioned in verse 11 is, I believe, that of uh, Pentecost. In verse 12, he's looking at when he comes, when the king comes to establish his kingdom. And judgment is associated with that. What was the result of the ministry of the king's herald? Well, it cost John his life. It cost John his life. God sustained him all the way through. And John completed what God had for him to do with respect to the life of Christ. John pointed men and women to Jesus. Behold, he said, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Just one lesson. We are beginning Advent season. There was a herald who prepared the way for the king. And his message was, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Question. Have you repented about who Jesus is? Is he still no more to you than a good teacher? A man who exhibited, demonstrated love? Or is he the son of God who went to the cross of Calvary? Having no sin of his own, he went there bearing my sin and yours. Have you repented about the Lord Jesus? I pray and trust that the Holy Spirit will get a hold of our hearts.
and cause us to see who Jesus is rightly. And may we be prepared for Christmas. Shall we pray? Father, for many of us, we come to faith in Christ and we live our lives and we fall into a routine. And We need to hear the words from the Word of God that our profession might be lived out in the deeds of our lives. And though we have come to a place of repentance and coming to faith in the Lord Jesus, we wander away. We've already been thinking, some of us have anyway, about Christmas cards and Black Friday and buying gifts and trees and all the other accoutrements of Christmas. And we do not speak against those. It's just our Father... It is the belief of my heart that you want for us the same thing that John wanted for the people to whom he was preaching. That is that we live up to our profession of faith. And it's all about Jesus. All these other things are nice. We like the trees and the ornaments. We love the music. There's so much to be desired around the Christmas season. And it's so easy for us to think about everything but Jesus. May this Christmas be different from Christmas's past for all who are here in this room. And we ask this for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Prepare the way of the Lord. He is coming. May the Lord bless your day. Give you a good day, remembering that this is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. May God begin to work in our hearts a blessed Christmas season like we have never experienced before. Joe Ford is our deacon today. Joe comes to lead us in prayer. After Joe prays for us, we'll sing God be with you until we meet again, and then we will go our way. Deacons, don't forget, we need to visit with you for just a minute right here at the front of the church. Joe, if you'll pray for us, please. Let's pray, please. Our Heavenly Father, we come today towards the end of a weekend of Thanksgiving that we come before you and thank you for the many blessings that you have bestowed upon each and every one of us. And as we come together today, we also begin the start of Advent. 
the coming, the coming of the, the Christ child who came in Bethlehem and who is coming again that gives us that hope that when he comes again, he will come and take us home with him where we can be with him in glory. We just want to thank you, and may that be the center of our attention and our thinking as we celebrate this holiday season. We also want to remember our mission of the week, Teen Valley Ranch. We thank you for the years that this ministry has ministered to people over in the mountains of North Carolina through camping experience. They have had the opportunity to reveal the person of Jesus Christ to so many people through the years. And so we pray that you would continue to bless them, provide their needs as they continue to reach out and reach others with the, the name of Jesus Christ. Be with us now as we depart this place. May we keep the meaning of Christmas in our heart as we uh, go about our work and those we come in contact. And we'll give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.